Good morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read there before we pray in a moment. Uh, we will be in a number of passages this morning. All right, Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that uh, in your wisdom and in your grace you have provided a way for us to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you uh, that because of his death on our behalf and his resurrection, we don't need to fear death but we look forward to eternal life. And we praise you that you have given us the opportunity through the power of your spirit now to represent the values of your kingdom. As we love others, as we serve them, and as we seek to influence the world in which you've placed us, we pray that we would do so with faithfulness. And we pray we would do so with humility and trust in you. Lord, as we study your word This morning, help us to understand it. I pray, move in our minds that we would understand, remove distractions, and uh, Father, move in our hearts, take away our doubts and our fears. Let us believe you at your word, and then empower our bodies to obey. We love you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, how many of you guys in here were fans of Lost when it was on? Okay, a good number of you. Okay, I'm hearing some hisses. Uh, Yeah, maybe you are feeling that way about it now. I was, I'll admit, I started uh, watching the show and uh, immediately got kind of sucked into the world of Lost. And uh, the reason was because it was this huge mystery to unravel. I was just intrigued by it. If you'd not seen the show... You probably know, but you should know, you know, it's about a group of people, they crash on an island and uh, the island is very mysterious and there's all kinds of uh, different things about the island that don't seem to match up with the real world. And so the whole show is trying to unravel what's going on, where are these people, who are they? And the show went on for six years and I uh, got to a place where there was a group of friends, we were watching it regularly every week together and uh, we were excited as the final season approached because uh, finally they were going to answer our questions. And so uh, we gathered together and we uh, were going to have a party to watch this thing and put it all together and sat down and uh, we watched that final episode with anticipation and it finished and we said, we've just wasted six years of our life. (laughs) Six years we can never get back, right? Because uh, they did not answer the things we were hoping they would answer. And it ended up being this disappointment for many of us. And uh, this feeling of, ah, what a letdown. And maybe you have had experiences in your life where you felt that way, where you've invested in something and it's ended up being a letdown. In fact, uh, there are a lot of experiences, I think, throughout our lives where uh, we wait and we wait and we wait for something with anticipation. And it may not be a total disappointment, but it may not meet our expectations either. 
But I can remember uh, when I was a little guy, third or fourth grade, I would look at my older brother and he was in junior high. Man, junior high just seemed to be the epitome of where I wanted to be. Uh, He got to go to Six Flags with the youth group and do all kinds of cool things. And then uh, I remember the night before I started junior high, being up half the night with just excitement and anticipation. And then I got there and as you can imagine, junior high didn't really fulfill my wildest dreams, right? (laughs) It was this letdown, and, and, and a lot of times that's the way our life seems to run, right? You, you're excited to graduate from college and get a job, and you get that job, and you're looking forward to that as your salvation, and then all of a sudden you get there and you realize, man, I, I've got bills to pay now. I've got uh, stress. I've got to worry about taking care of a house or apartment, and I've got to drive 45 minutes to and from my office, and this isn't exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, For many of you, maybe it is uh, waiting to get married and you see marriage as that uh, final salvation from this state of singleness that you're in. You'll finally have a person to walk through life with you. You'll finally get to have righteous sex, right? And all of these things. And you're waiting for this. And uh, for many, I've seen people wait for this. And it's not that marriage is a disappointment for what it is meant to be. But sometimes it is not the end-all, be-all that people expect it to be. It doesn't meet all their needs. So there's this sense of disappointment. And uh, I think a lot of our life is that way because we are waiting for heaven. And so we have these longings in our heart that really will never fully be fulfilled right here and now. And so what we're really waiting for when we're looking for that next wonderful thing, we're really waiting for eternity C.S. Lewis says this, if I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were made to long for heaven because it is in heaven that we will fully experience God's presence. And as we've walked through heaven and hell this semester, what we've seen is that the ultimate hope, Revelation 21 and 22, is we see heaven come down to earth and God restores the earth to the way it was meant to be. And so there's no more sin, no more sadness, no more disappointment, no more unfulfilled longings in our heart because we are with God forever. And so we long for that. And the challenge is, as we long for that, what do we do right now? Some people say that our task right now, then, is to usher in God's kingdom through the things we do. So maybe if we vote for the right people and put the right government in place, we will bring God's kingdom. Maybe if we feed enough poor people or we build enough wells or we do enough good stuff, God's kingdom will come. And then there are other people that say, no, you can't, you can't bring God's kingdom now. So all of that stuff that you're talking about, all those good deeds, it's a waste of time. Only thing you should do is pray, read your Bible, and share Jesus with people. And so some people will say good deeds are the essence of the gospel message, that in those we find salvation. Other people say, nah, don't mess with all that stuff. It's a waste of time. It's like polishing the brass on a sinking ship, they'll say. This world's going to go down in flames anyway. And so the question as Christians is, how do we reconcile those sort of things? Can we have heaven right now? Should we be seeking that right now to say, if I do these things, I can bring heaven? Or do we just totally back off and say, no, let the world just be the world and go down in flames? Uh, What is our balance? Should we care about what's going on in the world? For example, uh, each year there are 18,000 victims of sex trafficking imported into the United States. More than 200,000 people born in the United States who are victimized by it. Uh, Between 20 and 30,000 children die of starvation every day. 
the United States aborts 115,000 babies a day. That's four times as many as die from starvation worldwide. Should we care about those things? We're not. How do we respond to those kinds of needs as Christians? I think most of us would agree that the nearly 6 billion people who don't yet know Jesus Christ, that's a priority. But do we also care about the thousands who are hurting and are in pain because of other issues going on in their lives? What do we do about that? Well, that's what we're going to look at from the scripture this morning. This issue of how do we relate to the kingdom of heaven now? What does the Bible say about our responsibility toward good deeds or things like politics or what we call social justice? How are we supposed to relate with those things as Christians? Are those things the end-all, be-all? And if not, should we engage with them at all? So what does the scripture say? Well, we're going to look at a few principles from the Bible. All right, the first one is this. This world reflects God's glory. All right, the world was made to reflect the glory of God. Let me give you a couple of passages. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, and Psalm 72, 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then uh, Psalm 72, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. All right, the idea is that God made this world to reflect his glory. What that means is that the world we live in is intended to be a display of who God is, how great he is, how holy he is, how wonderful he is. It's intended to be a display of his character and his attributes and his righteousness. Think about it like a self-portrait in a way. If an artist paints a self-portrait, hopefully that tells you a little bit about the artist, who he is, maybe what he values, how he views himself. So let me show you a few. Here's, for example, a self-portrait of Vincent van Gogh. And what does that tell you about him? It says, if I love you, I'll send you my ear, right? I will cut it off and send it to you. You can see the bandage on his ear. All right, here's another one. Pablo Picasso. What does that say? I like triangles, right? Okay. <laughs> about this one? Andy Warhol. What does that say about him? Lock your doors, right? (laughs) Stay inside, okay? The, The artist's portrait tells you a little bit about the artist. Okay, it's no different. When God creates the world, uh, he puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what does he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And he says to Adam and Eve, go out into the world and be my representatives of my kingdom. And God intends the world to represent his values. And you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are intended also to represent God. And so that means we share the gospel that Jesus has and risen again to bring new life and to bring uh, his kingdom. But it also means that with the things that we do each day, we are providing a glimpse into what God values and what his kingdom is supposed to be like. 1 Peter 2, 9, through 12, 9 and 12, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And what does that mean? Well, ultimately, it means we're not just here to wait for heaven. 
It's not as if God has saved us and then he says, yeah, I need you just to hang around for a little while, got some other stuff to do, and uh, one day heaven is coming. You and I have been left here for a purpose. First and foremost, uh, to spread the message of the gospel to all nations, but then also to provide for the world through the power of the Spirit, a glimpse of what God's values and kingdom are supposed to be like. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where, maybe a fancy restaurant, and you're sitting there, you're looking at the menu, and uh, they come around to your table and they bring you on a tray samples of that day's specials, right? And so you're looking at the menu and you say, you know, I think maybe I'll just get a cheeseburger. And they come along and they say, or maybe you'd like this salmon encrusted with everything you love, right? And they, have, they say, taste it. And you take a little taste. And then as you're getting toward the end of the meal, you're feeling stuffed full. And they come along and they go, do you want any dessert? You say, no, I am absolutely stuffed. And they say, oh, try this. And you taste and you go, bring me a whole cheesecake, right? And you order one, right? Why? Because they've just given you a sample of something you say, I can't live without. And their goal is to make you buy it. Now, as Christians, what we're doing is we are providing, hopefully, a glimpse into the heart of God. And so as you look at the life of Christ, Jesus does two things, really, in his ministry. One, he teaches. He proclaims with his mouth who God is. And then two, he does miracles to demonstrate what God will do. He does miracles to demonstrate that when God brings his kingdom, he will heal the sick. He'll make the lame walk. He'll raise the dead. And so Jesus' miracles, they do validate his authority, but they also provide this glimpse, this sneak preview of the kingdom. So as you and I engage with some of these issues of our day, as we uh, choose who to vote for, as we think about issues of justice, as we think about issues of morality and we engage with them, we do so not as an end in themselves, but in order to display what is God's kingdom going to be like? so that the world can see and and praise it. And that leads us to our second point, that engagement with God's world reflects God's values. When you and I engage with God's world, we reflect God's values. So if I care about leadership that represents the values of God, if I care about issues that represent the values of God, if I care about issues uh, like abortion and the poor, those represent God's values. And when I listen to the scripture and what God has to say, and then I act accordingly, that means that I am trying to reflect who he is. Think about it this way. Gentlemen, if you are dating a young lady, what is the most important thing that you can do to show her that you care about her? What is it? Bring her flowers? Probably not, right? Those are going to die. You know, you know that, right? That the flowers are going to die. So, so what is it? Listen. Listen to her talk. Right? This is why you don't go to Buffalo Wild Wings on your first date, right? Because uh, you're going to sit there and there's all these TVs with sports events and you're distracted. And she's going to tell you something very important about herself. Like she's going to tell you how important like Reese's Pieces are to her life story. And so uh, she's going to talk about how at every occasion in her life, her family would gather around a big bowl of them and she's going to begin crying and you're, you're not going to be paying any attention, right? And so someday down the line... Uh, you're going to hit uh, an occasion and you're going to give her a box of M&M's. She's going to burst into tears, say, do you even know me? And run out the door and you're going to go, what did I do? Right? And you won't know. Why? Because you didn't listen. 
because you chose not to engage with her world and care about what matters to her, and so you're not able to act accordingly. Well, as we look at the scripture, God communicates to us the things that he values. He values people. He values his word. He values righteousness, personal righteousness, and the righteousness of the community. He values those things. So when I engage with the people around me, I'm doing so because God loves them. When I care about those who are weak, when I care about those who are sick, when I care about those who don't know Jesus Christ, I am representing God's values. The problem is this, that we're distracted. And so we don't listen. And so we're not able to represent the values of God as he's called us to. As we look at the scripture, we see a glimpse throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament into some of God's values. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, to know him and to love other people? Book of Isaiah, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God cares about those who cannot defend themselves. And he cares that we are personally righteous and walk with him. And so to represent him, it's not just a matter of uh, staying away from all the bad stuff that we could do, but it's also reaching out into the world with our mouths and with our lives, proclaiming the excellencies of God because he cares about people. Because he made this earth to represent him, he cares about this earth, he cares about this world. He's going to restore it one day and he wants us to represent what will it look like when he restores it. So men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be drawn to him. John 3.16, passage you all know, hopefully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves the world. That's why he gave his son, to bring life. And so when we engage with the world, we represent God's values. When we share the gospel, we're representing that God loves those people. Yet also when we engage in healing, when we engage in acts of compassion, acts of mercy, they're not sufficient in and of themselves, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but they do represent the kingdom of God. And so they matter. Because engagement with God's world reflects the values of God. And yet, even as we see that, we have to recognize this. Human works will not create God's kingdom. Human works will never create God's kingdom. Now, if you go back to Genesis 11, in fact, uh, just for a moment, grab your Bibles. Let's go back to Genesis 11. Genesis chapter 11. Let's start in verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. 
Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All right, the men and women of the earth decided we're going to make a kingdom and it's going to go all the way up to heaven. And what they're trying to do is they're essentially trying to make God's kingdom here on earth. And God says, no, I will be the king. And so I love this imagery. It says he goes down to see their tower. The idea is they're building this tower that they think is so high and God is way up above them. And he goes, are they, are they building a tower? So he goes down to see this huge tower. And the idea is, I'm going to be in charge. And so he disperses them across the face of the earth. They believe that by banding together and working hard, they could bring God's kingdom. And the truth is that there are men and women, even in the uh, Christian community, who argue that if we do enough works of justice, if we vote for the right people, if we care for the poor enough, if we build enough wells in Africa, we will bring God's kingdom here. And the truth is that that will never happen because we are incapable of bringing God's kingdom. Only God can do that. Shane Claiborne in his book, uh, Irresistible Revolution, writes this, as the people of God, we are building a new society in the shell of the old, a new polis, the new Jerusalem, the city of God. And my answer to that is no, we are not building the new Jerusalem. We are not building the city of God. We are representing the city of God. But what did I just read from Revelation 21 at the beginning of this talk? The city of God comes down from heaven and God says what? I am making all things new. God is the one that has to do it. And the reason is this, because apart from God's intervention in the human heart, his kingdom can't come. Apart from God's full deliverance of this world from sin and death, his kingdom can't come. So even as we engage in things like politics to represent his kingdom, even as we engage in things like justice, even as we engage in acts of mercy, we have to recognize that those things will never save. And one of the big dangers I think that we face, and I've seen this election after election and year after year, especially with those who are just entering into the adult years and into the political process, I think a danger you face is you you get a, a leader that you love You put his face up and you say, this guy's going to save us from all the problems we have. And time and time again, the person fails. That's the history of the nation of Israel, by the way. Go back and read the Old Testament. Time and time again, the kings they looked to failed to deliver on the promise of bringing in a perfect kingdom. One of the most striking historical illustrations of a time when men and women decided we're going to look to human justice and a human Messiah. One of the most striking illustrations in the 20th century is from the 1930s and 1940s. You go back to Germany in the 1930s. Many people don't know. Do you know why Hitler was elected into power? Because the men and women of Germany said, we need a savior. They had experienced all of this shame and all of this pain in World War I as a nation. They were humiliated and they said, we need a savior to lead us out of this. And so they, out of the ashes seemingly, they elected this guy, Hitler, and everybody said, this guy is going to lead us to salvation. Joseph Goebbels, one of his uh, main lieutenants, one of his main uh, underlings said this, Germany has been transformed into a great house of the Lord where the Fuhrer as our mediator stands before the throne of God. Dr. Robert Ley, another prominent Nazi, we believe on this earth in Adolf Hitler alone. 
We believe in national socialism as the creed, which is the sole source of grace. What they did is they looked to this man as their Messiah when really he was a devil. And I've seen over and over again, our nation, our world look to human beings or look to human actions as a source of salvation. But the reality is we cannot usher in God's kingdom because we're incapable. We don't have the resources. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. God has to give it. Uh, Years ago, when our first daughter was just a baby, we were adjusting to the idea that with a baby in the house, we couldn't just kind of go wherever we wanted, whenever we wanted to. She needed things. She needed to eat and sleep and things like that. And so sometimes we would have uh, friends call us and say, can you come out tonight? And we go, no, we're sorry. Uh, we don't have a babysitter. We need to stay home. And there was this one friend that he would, he would always say jokingly, well, why don't, you just, why don't you just give the baby a sandwich? And I just set it in, in her crib and uh, she'll be fine. She'll figure it out, right? Now, that's ridiculous, right? You, you can't just tell a baby, just, just feed yourself, right? Just take care of yourself. Even if I got a hundred babies and I put them in a room and I got peanut butter and jelly and a bunch of bread and I said to them, here's how you make a sandwich, right? Make the sandwich. That's not going to happen, right? No matter what you give them, those hundreds of babies will not form like a self-sustaining baby society, right? They can't do it, okay? They're incapable, all right, and that is, to a certain degree, where we stand on this issue of bringing God's kingdom. Uh, no matter how many people you get together, no matter how many great tools you have, you cannot do it apart from the intervention of God in the world. And so that is why our primary task as believers is to share the message of the gospel around the world. And yes, we represent the gospel with our engagement in the world, but we share the gospel with our lips Because it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that hope is found. In the fact that although we're sinners, separated from God because of our sin, and worthy of hell, God gave his son Jesus, who died on the cross for us and rose again so that we can have eternal life, so that we can be a part of his kingdom. And so we speak that so men and women can be redeemed. And the truth is, I can build a hundred wells And men and women can fill up on water and live for 80 years and still die in their sins if I don't preach the message of Jesus. I can elect the best president we've ever had. And yet if I don't proclaim the message of the gospel, men and women still die in their sins. And that doesn't mean that those activities are worthless. Again, they reflect God's values. They reflect God's kingdom. So they have worth because God cares about this world. But the truth is that that sort of engagement apart from the proclamation of the gospel will not bear eternal fruit. What you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have that is unique to us as believers in Jesus Christ is this message of salvation through Jesus alone. And we also have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do his will so the world can see what he's like. That's what we're called to. A couple of passages to share how God will bring in his kingdom. Ezekiel chapter 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is a promise of God's kingdom and it's coming on the heels of Israel's utter failure to represent God's kingdom. They had had king after king after king that had failed to represent God and the people, although they had God's law and God's presence visibly among them, had failed. And finally God says, here's why you fail. Because you need me. So I will do this for you. I'll give you my spirit. I'll let you obey my laws. I will bring you into the land. I will create the kingdom for you. And again, that's where Revelation 21 leads us. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making All things new. Kingdom will come when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. Meanwhile, what do we do? How do we respond to the needs around us? How do we care about the people God cares about? A few thoughts as we wrap up. First of all, pray. Pray. If you believe in Jesus Christ and the spirit of God lives within you, you have access to God's throne. And so you pray for men and women to know Jesus. You pray for men and women to experience healing from their sickness. You pray for leaders who will represent God's values. So we pray for the things going on in the world and we leave it up to God to ultimately do the work that we can't do. Secondly, speak. Speak, yes, on behalf of those who are weak and defenseless. Care for them. Speak up. I think this is perhaps why uh, this past week some of you have been following the situation going on at Penn State, right? I don't know all of the details about who knew what, when, about this coach that was abusing children, but I think the, the tragedy is that there were men and women who knew what was going on, and there are defenseless kids, and, and they didn't speak. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to speak to defend those who are weak, who cannot defend themselves, both individually and as a nation, but also speak the gospel message again. Jesus always paired his miracles and his healings with gospel proclamation because he is the ultimate hope. And then thirdly, act. I would challenge you again, consider going on a trip this summer where you have the opportunity to go into different regions of the world and see what God is doing, to share the gospel, to be a part of what he's doing around the world. It may be that God is calling you in a unique way to get engaged with politics or with the poor or with some of these justice issues. And it may be that God is calling you to do that. But as you do that, you continue to speak the gospel. And then you move forward and you act as Jesus would act to communicate his character and his life to the world. We pray, we speak, and we act. Ultimately, what are the values that God cares about? He cares about his word, cares about the people that he has made. So anything that we do to reflect those values that we are called to do as believers in Jesus Christ, we always do so with humility and trust, recognizing that God 
is the one who will bring his kingdom. And so we're just here to point men and women to it. And that's our task. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word. It is life and it is truth. And we want to uh, stand underneath its teaching. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to speak, how to act. I pray give us energy and strength to pray, to come before you and to ask for your will. We do pray that you would make us men and women of integrity, whose hearts and minds are fully focused on your kingdom and how we can represent it. We thank you for the promise of heaven. We pray that we would always keep one eye on the promise of heaven as we extend our hands and our help to those on this earth. We love you, God, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.